So in Acts chapter 4, it ends in a similar way that Acts chapter 2 ended. Believers with one another in unity, experiencing fellowship, and they're sitting under the solid teaching. And this is where we pick up after last week. We ended at verse 31, chapter 4. So now we're going to pick up in verse 32 of chapter 4. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now, this is the account here, believers' attitudes, where this is descriptive of their attitudes, not prescriptive, meaning this is not commanded for believers to not own any material possessions or to look at any material possessions as their own, but this is descriptive of their attitude. So this is describing the attitude of the early church. They were one big family support network because in many cases, some people that became believers were disowned by their families, right? Because they were turning their back on the Jewish tradition, so to speak, and they were following this new teaching, this new way. So some of their families disowned them and they forfeited their inheritance because of them, because of trusting in Christ. Some of them lost their means of income they may have worked with their families or those that they worked for did not support this new way of teaching and this new teaching about Jesus. So basically, they came together and they helped one another. There were two things that were happening. The first thing was teaching. Okay, in verse 33, it says this. Just make sure I'm seeing it. The first thing is teaching, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So the testimony of the resurrection was really the core of their teaching, and because, because of that, they continually taught this, and they experienced the grace of God, meaning they were realizing that God loved them unconditionally, that he desired to have a relationship with each one of them, and even though they deserved, or we deserve, really, to be separated from God due to our sin, or due to their sin, what happens is they were learning that God welcomes them in through the gospel message. So I would imagine much of their time together was focused on the tenets of the gospel. If, if they were talking about their testimony, they were talking really about the tenets of the gospel, the fact that we're all sinners in need of a savior, the fact that Jesus was crucified, the fact that Jesus rose from the grave, and the fact that Jesus said, if you trust in me, you will have eternal life. This was what was spreading in that early church. This was the testimony of the early believers. They were telling people about who Christ was. Remember last week, I talked about how when the pressure was on, they prayed what? For more opportunities. They didn't pray that the pressure was off. They prayed that they have more opportunities. The second thing that happened was this. It was radical generosity. This thing's not working today, Trevor, so you're going to have to be working hard back there. Um, so radical generosity. So when we realize God the Father gave his son Jesus for us, it inspires us to sacrifice as well. So here's what happened with those early believers. If you want to click to the next verse, it says this. Um, it, it says, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and bought, brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, we can't look at this passage and say, oh, 
So the believers all sold their houses and everything they had to make everyone equal, and they all lived together. We can't look at this passage and say that, because notice the plurality, lands and houses. Basically, what was happening was those who were well off, those who were blessed with much, were selling off assets to help those that didn't have much. This was not something they were commanded to do. Okay, we have to look at this and realize this was not something they were commanded to do. It was act of radical generosity because they were inspired by the grace of God. Now, the lesson for us here today, right, is this. The more we are blessed with, the more generous we can be. The more we are blessed with, the more generous we can be. See, here's what happens in our culture. In our culture, the opposite can become a huge temptation. The more we're blessed with, the more we want. That's why people say, and the rich get richer, right? The more we're blessed with, the more we want. So now what Luke's going to do is he's going to point out two examples of people that sold property for the benefit of the church. The first is Barnabas. We're going to go to verse 36, and it says this, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So Barnabas, Joseph Barnabas, was a Levite, and that was, it was a person from the tribe of Levi. They were normally assistants to the priests in the temple. The apostles gave Joseph the nickname Barnabas, son of encouragement, because he was obviously a very encouraging person. So Barnabas sold a field, not his only field, apparently not the field his house was on, but a field that was worth a decent amount of money, and in an ag agricultural society, it could yield more money because of the crops that it could yield. So he laid the proceeds at the apostles' feet, meaning he gave it to the work of the Lord to help others that had nothing, possibly because they trusted in Jesus and their family abandoned them. So before we look at the next example, I want to point out that this is believers helping other believers. Paul will later say in Galatians that we have a responsibility first to the household of faith. That does not mean we don't help unbelievers, but our first responsibility as believers is to actually help the household of faith, help the fellow believers. Now, the next example starts off chapter 5, and this is one instance in the scriptures where we see that chapter divisions are actually not helpful. I don't know if you realize this, but like the chapter divisions and the verses and stuff, they were added later just for easy reference, okay? So this is what happens. We start off chapter 5, and we go to the account of Ananias and Sapphira without looking back to see what Barnabas did, okay? We look at the, with the account of Ananias and Sapphira without looking back to see what Barnabas did. But notice this next verse that we're going to put up here starts off with but. So if, if it starts off with but, we have to look at the previous verse of what's going on here. So now we have Barnabas who sold the field, laid, laid the proceeds at the apostles' feet. They gave him this name, son of encouragement, right? Son of encouragement. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So now we have a husband and wife team essentially did the same thing as Barnabas. They sold a piece of property, but instead of giving all the money, 
they held some back for themselves. So I'm going to read the entire passage, then we're going to go into more detail on two main issues from this passage. So the next verse says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart and you have not lied to man, but to God? Next verse. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last breath. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Next verse. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what happened. The two main issues were Ananias and Sapphira stuck dead. And does this still happen today? Okay, you read this story and you're like, what? <laughs> What's going on here? So remember a few weeks back in chapter 3 when Peter healed the guy that couldn't walk, the lame man? We dealt with the issue of God healing people today. Remember I said this, God does still heal people today, but I'm not so sure he does it like Peter going up and saying, hey, in Jesus' name, pick up your mat and walk, or, or get up, walk now. So I taught this was an apostolic time in which the early believers performed signs and wonders because they were living out the New Testament. Do you remember that? Okay, I also said some believers argue and say, God still does empower people to heal in that way. We just don't witness it. People like us don't witness it because we have a lack of faith. They'll often say, we have to get back to the way the early church was. Oddly enough, none of those people ever reference this. They never say, when you confront somebody with sin, they're going to drop dead. Okay, it's, you don't hear that. Okay, they don't want this one. But we have to deal with it, don't we? So let me first answer why these two believers were struck dead. So why these two believers were struck dead. And the actions of Ananias and Sapphira could have contaminated the church fellowship. Their sin could have contaminated the church fellowship. In order to, to make the, to, in order for God to stop the early church from being contaminated from the sin of Ananias and Sapphira, he may have struck them dead. He struck them dead at that time in order that sin would not spread. Later in Galatians 5, 9, Paul states this, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, meaning that sin spreads. So in this very specific moment, in this apostolic time, Here's two believers that were sinning, okay? And God was not pleased with that. He's never pleased with sin. So in order for sin not to spread in that early group of believers, the Lord, in his mercy, actually struck them dead. Now, the second reason builds on that, because if sin spreads, we realize how dangerous sin is, and God wants all believers to know. It illustrates how serious sin is. In Matthew 18, verse 6, it says this. Whoever causes one of these little ones 
who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. We know that sin is serious if the better option, okay, is having a millstone tied around your neck and you being thrown into the sea. See, when we look at a passage like this, the message got across to these early believers. Verse 11 tells us great fear came upon the whole church. These early believers must have thought, you know what? God really is truly serious about sin. Now, in some senses, we have to realize that maybe the direction Ananias and Sapphira were heading was much worse sin. And God spared them and took them home before it could even get worse. Before it could even get worse for them and even get worse for the early church. Which brings us to the second question is, does this happen today? Does this happen today? Just wait, okay? Here's the answer. Yes, it can, okay? It can happen today. Maybe not as overt and instantly like a guy walking in and telling a lie and Paul saying, or Peter saying, like, why has Satan filled you? And the guy just drops dead before the church. But there are some passages in the New Testament that teach on physical death and physical sickness as a result of sin. And I want to briefly focus on two. Now, don't, don't like mishear this or don't misinterpret. Don't think anybody you know that's sick, they must have some sin in their life, okay? Because you remember when Jesus healed, I think it was the blind man, right? And they said, who sinned, this man or his parents? And what did Jesus said? This man was blind in order for glory to be brought to God because Jesus was healing him right there. So he didn't say, yeah, it was his sin or their sin. So don't mishear that because people will mishear that. Don't think that every sin or every sickness is connected to sin or every death is connected directly to an overt sin. But in James 1.15, it says this. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, James is talking to believers that are living in persistent, dangerous sin and some sins that cause physical death. James must be talking about physical death because he's talking to believers and believers do not spiritually die due to sin because Jesus paid for our sin, right? So we never spiritually die. But the next verse is found in 1 Corinthians 11.30. And Paul says, this is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Now, the context of this passage is the teaching on communion and how each person should examine their own life and not take communion in an unworthy manner. Me meaning this, we need to be confessing our sins and not be persistent in them. If we are, there, if, 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 if we are persistent in our sins, there can be physical consequences to our sins, even death. Now, let's think about this, because, you know, we, we learn the theology, and then we have to look at the practicality of this. Practically speaking, we know that sin can lead to physical death. Would you agree with that? Sin can lead. Substance abuse kills people all the time. Promiscuous living can result in STD, 
that can kill a person. Look at the AIDS epidemic, right? Sometimes believers get so off track that their lifestyle actually results in their own death. Do you realize that? Sin brings forth death. So then we have to ask, well, is this the hand of God? And I don't know the answer to that. Each situation is different, and only God knows the answer to those questions. But I will say this. It would not be out of the character of God to take a disobedient believer home in order to protect them, in order to protect the people that love them, and in order to protect his church. It would not be out of his character. Now, when we think about death, right, when we think about death, it's all awful, right? It's all like we, we don't like death. You know, it's painful. It like, you know, it, it leaves a hole in us. But here's, here's what the Psalms say about death. Precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. So isn't it an act of grace and mercy for our loving father to bring us home if we're so off track and there's nothing in our heart and mind that actually wants to turn back to him? But again, like we don't witness the instant healing of this lame person by the laying of hands on, we probably will not see someone drop dead. Somebody's going to walk into this church and be like, oh, I've been sinning and I don't care or whatever. They're probably not going to drop dead right before us. But can something like this still happen today? I do believe that the scriptures teach like this, what Paul says, this is why many of you are weak and ill and maybe some have died. The truth is, some sins are deadlier than others, but all sin is serious to God. Now, let me clarify a little bit. If Ananias were true believers, they're in heaven. I believe they probably were because they were part of the church, but, you know, I'm looking into the passage now because we don't hear anything more about them. If Ananias and Sapphira were believers, they're in heaven. They did not lose their salvation because of their sin, of lying. Likewise, if a believer is on a sinful path and dies because of their sin that they are committing, they will not lose their salvation. So paint a picture. Somebody gets plastered drunk and gets in their car and kills themselves and they're a believer. The sin is drunkenness, right? They've died in during their sin. They don't lose their salvation, okay? They still are saved. Our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. God is possibly being merciful in this case and taking them home. Now, the second issue is this, and this kind of gets a little bit more because, you know, I know some of you are going to leave here and be like, uh-oh, <laughs> is that the sin that I'm going to die of? Um, well, here's the thing. The, we really have to get to the heart of things, right? We have to get to the heart of things. So the second issue is this. Why did they lie? Why did they lie? Let's take the being struck dead part out of the account for right now. Because many times, right, this is the main message of Ananias and Sapphira. You know, the Sunday school curriculum will use this account to scare kids to be honest. The big idea is, if you lie, you will die, okay? And then what happens? A kid goes and lies, and they're like, I'm still alive, <laughs> okay? <laughs> like, I don't think the Bible is true. Well, the truth is we have to get to the heart of what's going on here. And I think a valuable lesson we can learn from this text is by dealing with Ananias and Sapphira and getting to the bottom of why they may actually have lied. 
And I believe there's three reasons, and I'm going to alliterate because it actually works. So I think these are the same three reasons why you and I may be, may be caught in lying or tempted to lie. The first is protection. Okay, I can't give it all away. You know, so they saw that Barnabas did that. And then they were like, wow, like he got a lot of treasure. Hey, but, you know, we're going to sell this, but I can't give it all away. What if I need it? Ananias and Sapphira may have thought, if we give all the money away, I will not be able to provide for my own needs. We need to protect what we have. We have protection in this extra money. Now, this is interesting, though, because when you really look at the text, by the way the early believers were treating the fellowship, it was basically saying, hey, if you're part of us, we'll make sure you're taken care of. So Ananias and Sapphira probably were skeptical of that or doubted that, which we can all understand, can't we? Like, are they really going to take care of me? Are they really going to step up? Are they really going to be there when I need them? You see, when we choose to lie, many times it's to protect ourselves. If I tell the truth, it might cost me money. If I tell the truth, I will be embarrassed. If I tell the truth, I'll have to face consequences. If I tell the truth, it may make my life more difficult. So in order to what protect ourselves, what do we do? We lie. We lie to protect ourselves. Next, we lie to promote ourselves, promotion. They must have thought, you know what, we could look as good as Barnabas. I mean, they gave the guy a, a nickname, son of encouragement. You know, there was probably some chatter about Barnabas even before this, but then he did that. They gave him this nickname. This guy's so encouraging. Ananias and Sapphira may have been thinking, hey, we want that kind of attention. We want people to look at us like they look at Barnabas. The difference was Barnabas was radically generous, and they were generous, but not as generous. Do you get that? That's the difference. This is why Peter said, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? Remember, there was no command. Okay, the new command is all the believers have to sell any extra stuff that you definitely don't need and give it to the church. That wasn't the command. This was just radical generosity. So he says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Like Peter said to him, like, listen, guys, you didn't even have to do this. You didn't even have to do this. Basically, it would have not even been an issue if they said, hey, we sold a piece of property and we want to give a portion of the proceeds. There was no mandate from the apostles. The people may have looked at Ananias and Sapphira and said, hey, you know, they're pretty generous, too. I mean, we're not going to give them the son of encouragement name, but hey, they're pretty generous as well. They wanted to promote themselves so people would think they were something that they weren't. Ananias and Aspire could have been recorded in history as generous people if they would have just been honest. And I bet no one would have said, hey, you guys are cheap. Barnabas gave it all. I bet you no one would have said that. In fact, we may never even have found out about Barnabas's gift or Ananias and Sapphira's gift if they didn't lie about it. Here's why I think that. I believe that Luke may have put the example of Barnabas, this is the chapter thing issue, I believe that the example of Barnabas was there to expose Ananias and Sapphira. So sometimes, what do we do? We leave out some of the truth to promote ourselves. 
We lie in order to look better and promote ourselves. And you know what? Our, our culture has done us no favors, right? Look at social media, right? They call it editing life. Look how amazing my life is. My kids are awesome. I go to great places. And then you don't see the other stuff, right? And of course, nobody's going to put that other stuff there. But, it, you know, it's, we all now have this little like window of self-promotion. So sometimes we leave out some of the truth in order to, or, or outright lie, in order to look better and promote ourselves. But in effort to promote ourselves, we end up displeasing God. And when others find out, guess what? We look even worse, or we may face some consequences. Now the final reason they may have lied is pride. You know what? We can get away with this. So much of being dishonest is tied up in pride. I can fool them. I'm smarter. I know better. I can do what I want. Peter says this to them. Why has Satan filled your heart? Now, the sin of pride is what brought Lucifer down, right? He thought he could be like God. Now, I don't think Peter was saying Ananias was possessed. In fact, if Ananias was, in fact, a believer, he could not be possessed because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. I think Peter was saying, saying like Satan, you are filled with pride. You thought you can get away with this, that no one would know. I think Peter's statement, why has Satan filled your heart to lie, gets to the root of our lies. It gets to the root of our lies. That is, we start to believe the lies of Satan. Jesus calls Satan the father of lies and says his native language is lies. See, what happens is this. We start to believe his lies. Ananias and Sapphira may have believed, you know what? When people hear about Barnabas and what he gave, and then he hears that you only gave a portion, or they hear you only gave a portion, you're, you're, gonna, you're not going to look as good, you know? And, and uh, you know, like appealing to that pride, right? You're not going to look as generous. But really, they could have decided, hey, for different reasons at this time, we can't give it all away, and been honest. And most people would still see their generosity, and even if they criticized Ananias and Sapphira for doing that, that would be their sin of being critical and judgmental, wouldn't it? I mean, who am I to look at somebody else's gift and say, you could have gave more. That's not my job. Okay, that's between them and the Lord. So what lie are you believing that is tempting you to lie or deceiving you into thinking that you need to lie? In your pride, are you thinking, I can conceal this? They'll never find out. It's so interesting that the text never tells us how Peter found out that they kept the money. Never tells us. It, was, it must have been some kind of divine intervention that God revealed to Peter through the Holy Spirit. But what the point is this, is God knows. You could be sitting here today lying through your teeth to the people around you. God knows. Okay, God knows. He knows the truth. So the charge really is this. Be honest with him. And when you are, you'll be honest with your fellow believers. 